Welcome to the JLA Cast, a podcast in which we revisit Grant Morrison's legendary run on JLA, arguably the greatest superhero comic ever written, one issue at a time. My name's John, and I'm the writer and creator of Afterlife Inc. And I'm PJ, and I am the writer of the graphic novel adaptation of Steve Jackson's The Trolltooth Wars. That I forgot what I'd written again. PJ I had a pause there, I couldn't get it. <laughs> Well, okay, I, I'm not much better because, you know, I, I I have to have my script open every week because apparently I just can't remember what to say. But PJ, it's a work for the ages. How, how could you forget it? There's also five copies of it, like five feet to my right as well <laughs> on a shelf right now. It's <laughs> signed, signed, by, signed by the author? No, no, I, I didn't want to lower the value of the book oh. like that. Yeah. <laughs> You need to um, mint in bag. That's what people want. <laughs> that, that's your retirement there. You want to like get some Febreze and a Ziploc bag and, I don't know, bury it in the garden or something? Our garden's all concrete. Get a buy, buy a sledgehammer? Or a and, JCB. And get, and get to work, I guess. <laughs> Tear up the garden just to bury my crappy comic. <laughs> no, sorry, I'm very proud of that work. It's not do, crap. Is you? Do you? From your childhood, do you? Is there a single issue or a graphic novel, or do you think there's something in that you you own or owned at one point that you think, oh, that might actually be, if not worth something, but rare and interesting. I do have one comic that I think probably is worth something that I wouldn't sell uh, and I have an original copy of Avengers 16 from the 60s the first lineup change really yeah oh my god where, where did you how uh back about oh 20 years ago somewhere between 18 and 20 years ago just found it in my local comic shop and I don't think the guy running the shop at the time knew a lot about comics because <laughs> it was only 20 pounds so we're like I'm having that so yeah, I've, I've got a copy of Avengers 16. God, and I wonder. Oh, and and sorry, that's not either of our stomachs you're hearing. We should say there is some power drilling going on in the yes, back yes. cave. My my neighbour has been quiet all morning, and then the moment we try to record a podcast, they start drilling into the wall. There it is. You see, this is why this is why when Bruce Wayne finished. Uh, when when the team of hundreds of um, workers finished building the Batcave, uh, he probably gasked them all. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'd love a Batcave right now. <laughs> That's really the dream, isn't it? 
you know, <laughs> as we as we get older, you know, we all become more comfortable in middle age. You know, everybody just dreams of having like a subterranean cavern to retreat to. Maybe fighting crime is optional, but <laughs> yeah, it's just the cave with the costumes in the car. <laughs> I mean, how many things does he need to put up? Maybe he's like, I'm going to be charitable and on, on theme, and I'm going to assume that he is whittling uh, a sculpture of Batman <laughs> using a Black & Decker power drill out of a breeze block. That's what I'm... This is all staying in, by the way. Like, <laughs> of course it is. <laughs> I think if we tried to cut out every every drill noise, it, consider it ambiance. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I was trying to think if I if I actually, I had a friend. I had a friend who um, went on a holiday to America when I was a kid, and he came back with a very random selection of like single issues, which mm. he gave me. And there, one of those was a issue one of a Hawkeye miniseries from the mid nineties. Oh, okay. Which I vividly remember because it was very edgy. It was very 90s. And Hawkeye had like a limited supply of adamantium tipped arrows. Of course he did. And he was unshaven and grizzled. That's how you knew it was gritty. Of course he did, yes. <laughs> I think I vaguely remember that being released. I never read it, but. Uh, and also a John Byrne issue of Fantastic Four which I think was is like a double length special and God knows how he found it or when it came out because I don't think this was the 90s it may have been when did John Burns run on that was 80s wasn't it Fantastic Four yeah I think it was quite a long run I think it may have been a fair few years in the 80s but it was where they fight Pybok or Paybok, the oh the Power Scroll, the Power Scroll. There we go, PJ. I knew <laughs> I knew I knew you were the right person to host a comics podcast with. <laughs> and what were his powers, PJ? Pybok the Power Scroll. Oh, he had. You got three three to choose from, PJ. Powers. <laughs> yes, which were. I genuinely can't remember. He could. Um, uh, okay, well. They were different to the Super Scrolls. Yeah, because the Super Scroll just had the Fantastic Four's powers. Yes. Well, he could uh, he could uh, turn his skin to metal, like Colossus. He could shoot ice, and he could shoot lightning. I think... No, I haven't read many stories that he's in, so <laughs> none of this is ringing a bell. No, again, I don't really know what the logic there was, but, you know, there we go. I've got so to say, you, sorry, what was that, Peter? So you you had that issue of Fantastic Four? I did, yes. I think it uh, it was the tail end of some storyline, which of course I'd never read, which was where it was revealed that Johnny, oh, I think Johnny Storm was actually dating. Oh, I'm gonna forget her name now. Um, Ben Grimm's on-off on Alicia again. Masters. Alicia, yeah, Alicia and Johnny had actually been in a long-term relationship and were about oh, to get yes. married. Yes, and then she turned out to actually be Elijah. The scroll. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So there you go. Fun times. Fun times in comics world. 
<laughs> but PJ, sorry, uh, drilling and uh, weird ephemera aside, um, where where are we in the world of JLA? What's what, what's about to what's about to kick off? Well, we uh, we have just finished the Prometheus one shot in which Prometheus killed and took the place of Retro, who was a, a basically fan character who was going to get to join the JLA for a day. You sent me some homework, John, or I set myself from homework. I can't even remember how it happened now. <laughs> But uh, you thought Retro might be on the cover of JLA Avengers issue three. Mm-hmm. And I can confirm he is. Yes, you, so, sent me, uh, you sent me a little screenshot, didn't you? Yeah. Like a little so, snap on your phone. Folks, if you have a copy of JLA Avengers 3, uh, get, get it out and check. On, if it's the original release, he's probably covered up by a logo because it would be on the front cover towards the top left. And essentially, he's in a group that's being held up by Justice from the Avengers uh, in a telekinetic cloud with the Thing, uh, Nuclon, Manitou Raven, the Swordsman, Magdalene, and Major Astro. Very close to Aztec, Blue Beetle of Machine Man, and Jon Stewart, just behind Batman as well. So, yeah, Retro is there, and that is very cool. I wasn't sure if it was meant to be some kind of weird thematic groupings of those characters i was thinking like oh are they all meant to be not wannabes but are they all meant to be people who desperately wanted to be on the avengers or the justice league because i know justice uh yeah yeah that was a big thing with his character in the avengers but i don't know i don't know if that entirely fits no because i don't think you can really say that about the thing um or well actually i guess Vance Astro was Justice's future self from the Guardians of the Galaxy, wasn't he? So a whole thing. Uh, there's also a character I don't know in there with them, though, who's a guy with a green cape covered in clocks, and his face is a clock, too. Oh, oh, is that not called... Oh, God, I was going to say, is he not called, like, Clockmaster or Time or Clock King? I have or something? no idea. Was he part of Justice League Antarctica? That would explain why I have no idea who he is. Because, again, I, you probably know more about Justice League International than I do. But wasn't it around that time that there was... Maybe I don't think they were necessarily like a spin-off team. They may have just featured in a few issues. But they were meant to be useless. They were meant to be like a group of heroes who were pretty much just like... Let's put them somewhere where they're not going to cause any trouble. Because they're all kind of terrible and i swear there was like clock king or clock master and like the the sorry pj robin had a girlfriend at one point tim drake had a girlfriend was her name spoiler yes and her dad was he clue master yes he was yes yeah he was on the team so are you basically saying that they were dc's equivalent of the great lakes avengers well now you've said it out loud pj yes i kind of feel that is almost the perfect comparison. But there you go. Retro is on the cover of JLA Avengers issue three. Also, I have dug out the JLA Wizard special, but we've decided that's going to have its own episode. We're not going to get into it this week. Yes, quite excited about that, because that dates from... We were just talking about it off air. 1998? Uh, yes. Yeah, I got it in 98 uh, when I was in America, so that would track... I had, I remember, I had, I had a family holiday in America uh, when I was a teenager, and I randomly picked up 
an issue of Wizard, which was a bumper-sized Alex Ross special. I've got that. I bought that at the same time as I bought this JLA one, right. I think. <laughs> I devoured that book, like, back yeah. and forth, front and back. Like, I just, I loved it. And I had never picked up a book featuring Alex Ross's work prior to reading that. But I was like, oh, my God, this sounds amazing. And I tracked down Kingdom Come because of that. And I very much loved Kingdom Come. See, I had read Kingdom Come before I got that. Um that's the reason I bought it, because obviously I loved Kingdom Come and his his work in there. But I hadn't read Earth X at that point, because the front cover is Kingdom Come Superman and Earth X Captain mm. America, isn't it? In, in a beautiful image. Yeah, because he, if I understand it correctly, Alex Ross didn't illustrate Earth X. He did the covers, and he was involved in writing it? Yeah, he. I think it was his plot, largely, and then the script was him with Jim Kruger? Because I think it was illustrated by Doug Braithwaite, I want to say, or I might have got this completely wrong. I've got the trade here somewhere. I don't know where it is at the moment. It's in a box, but... (laughs) Well, I I heard there was a... And I think this may have come from the same issue of Wizard, but I heard that he had plans for a prequel to Kingdom Come. Uh, And it was going to be a series called The Kingdom, I think. But I think... It, sorry, PJ. The Kingdom happened. Yes, but without his involvement. And I think he was yeah, a Mark, little... Yeah, Mark Wade wrote it, because Mark Wade was the writer on Kingdom Come. Right, uh, yeah. But I think the reason Alex Ross was so annoyed about The Kingdom happening, I think, was and dis- didn't want to be involved, was Kingdom Come was sort of supposed to be the, like a in itself a comment on and the end of sequels to the big stories like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so then, to give it a sequel itself. Well, that was that seemed to be the big the big difference because he'd envisaged it as a prequel, but the kingdom as it came out was a sequel, wasn't it? It was a it followed on from it. Yeah, I think I haven't read it, but I want to say it involves the Kingdom Come versions of Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman traveling back to the then present day DC universe, hunting down Magog because he's gone to try and kill them in the past or something. Should we? I mean, I mean, I'm kind of assuming that if most people are listening to this, which is what our 28th episode, they're probably deep in the paint, and they're probably they're probably vaguely familiar with Kingdom Come. But in the event that they're not, should we just quickly describe Kingdom Come and why it's relevant? Oh my God! Okay, uh, Kingdom Come was a four-part series from the mid 90s, written by Mark Wade, illustrated by Alex Ross, basically set in the DC universe. What 30 years in the future? Yeah, and uh, where all the present-day superheroes have either retired or died, and in their place are edgy '90s characters. <laughs> yeah, and Superman. Well, I mean, one of the key inciting incidents is that Lois Lane and everybody who works at the Daily Planet, so everybody Superman loves and cares about, was killed. They were all killed by the Joker. Yeah, and Superman refused to kill the Joker in retribution. Uh, And the world was like, oh, Superman, you're such an old fuddy-duddy. We don't need you anymore. We want a new, edgier brand of hero. And Superman has now gone to live in the Fortress of Solitude for in isolation for like the last 30 years, if that's how I remember it. And Yeah. Yeah. And Wonder Woman is out and about, isn't she? Yeah, she is. Um, and then she brings Superman back 
as well because the world needs him basically they're the heroes in air quotes are basically they're running amok they're just killing indiscriminately and the world needs superman so he comes back and starts trying to sort things out yes and batman is another faction because he's uh he's basically like uh hey some of us never left <laughs> you know some of us have been working quietly to try and keep things safe for a long time yeah, uh, and now you've just come back out of nowhere with nothing but brute force, and you're completely upsetting the balance. And and yeah, and it's all laden with kind of biblical imagery and the spectres involved, and uh, Captain Marvel or Shazam, as as he's now known, has been corrupted. It's, it's really, really good. And actually, thinking about it, to me, it's kind of um, what would happen if the true Superman turned up in a Zack Snyder movie. Well, isn't it interesting? <coughs> I don't think it really occurred to me until I said it until I said it out loud then, but like there's um there's that whole um the video um Justice League uh Injustice. Yes. Uh and the entire premise for which is the Joker kills Lois Lane, Superman snaps and kills the Joker, and then Superman goes off the deep end and decides to be to take over the world and you know become a a dictator, yeah. And yeah, it just kind of occurs to me that like even though Kingdom Come is quite dark, it's based on the same premise. Only even when faced with the death of his his wife and everyone he's ever loved, Mark Wade's version of Superman still doesn't become an asshole. <laughs> and that's that's my superman though yes. as well i yeah. this is why i i never got on board with injustice or zack snyder's take on superman you know the odd elseworld story even though even then look at superman red sun or superman the dark side where his pod lands on apocalypse instead of earth even in those he ends up being a good guy yeah <laughs> Because that's just who Superman is. And yeah, I'm not keen on takes where they do try and make a dark, edgy Superman. You know, if you're going to do that, use an analogue. Don't use Superman himself because it doesn't work. Yeah, I mean, like, those work as Elseworlds stories. Because, yeah, if you don't have Superman, the Superman being just so incredible, these stories don't have their impact. Yeah, or even if you tell, like, a darker alternate reality where Superman is evil... Everyone goes, whoa, well, that was horrible. I think you're yeah. kind of reminded about how great Superman is. Um, and as far as I understand it, um, that's very much what some of the um, epilogues to the Snyder Cut are hinting towards. And what the, I don't know, the inevitable storyline, because that just seems to be what people want. They seem to, A lot of people seem to want Superman to be evil. And it's exhausting. It really is. It really is. Give me classic, clean-cut Christopher Reeve Superman any day. Or Brandon Ralph, who technically played Kingdom Come Superman on TV in Crisis on Infinite Earths and was glorious. Yes. Yes, I have not seen it, but I remember I saw some screenshots. And I was like, oh, look at that. Yeah, he's aging into it. And didn't they get Kevin Conroy, uh, the voice of Batman yep. in the animated series, to basically play kingdom come bruce wayne it was a bit different uh to kingdom come bruce wayne in the way they took it but certainly the look of the character was was 
was derived from and and his where he sort of was in his life was very much derived from Kingdom Come. And again, Conroy, it's, it was so good to see him finally get to play live action Bruce Wayne. It was brilliant. Mm. I mean, that voice. It's, yeah. It's incredible. The definitive <laughs> Batman. The definitive Batman. I was just going to say that the two final things I'll mention on Kingdom Come, because I know, I know we're good at getting off topic, but mostly I'm, I'm the ink skater, so I do, I do apologise. But it's interesting what has been uh, kind of plucked from Kingdom Come, because anybody who's watched uh, Wonder Woman 1984, yes, yes, yes. Uh, that's, that's for you, um, might recognise the golden bird armor she's wearing in that movie yes yeah that's from kingdom we're gonna have to do kingdom come at some we're point we're probably I think. gonna have to do kingdom come aren't we yeah yeah i'm fine with that <laughs> and that's also yeah and probably has one of the definitive superman captain marvel battles which oh, hugely yeah well yeah will probably be the basis for any inevitable kind of film confrontation between the two the two characters as well yeah, yeah. It, it uses Captain Marvel's powers in a very interesting way. Oh god, Kingdom yeah, Come. so cool. We're going to see a little bit of Cap. Can we? This is a daft question. Can we? I say can we? You can call him whatever, but like, he's not technically called Captain Marvel anymore, is he? Have they ditched that entirely? I I don't know. I haven't really read any of the comics that he's been in, but like, surely they can't call him Shazam because then he can't say his own name. I haven't seen the movie. I do believe that was a major plot point, though. Right. Okay. He's Captain Marvel. I'm calling him... There can be two Captain Marvels. It's fine. It's fine. I don't think the average movie-going audience can, can, will be ready for that. But yes, there, I've always known that there are two Captain Marvels, and that's been fine for me. So, yeah. But yeah, I'm sorry, PJ. I'm completely derailing it. Um but yes, Prometheus, Prometheus, that's what we're talking about. <laughs> so basically, there's a new league forming. There's going to be a big old press conference on the moon at the Watchtower to uh, reveal the new league. The world's press are gathered. And as part of it, there has been a worldwide contest for join the JLA for a day. So someone gets to create a hero, be that hero as a member of the league for a day. That ret hero was retro. Prometheus has killed him and taken his place. Yeah, and... Um, as we kind of like jump into this issue, we are now finally back on um, in the main series. Yes, after several <laughs> episodes away, we have moved on to JLA issue sixteen. Yes, so because we we took a bit of like a self um, a self inflicted break to explore Earth two, yeah, uh, and then of course. Secret Files and Origins and, you know, the Prometheus storyline. So it does feel like we've been away for a long time, even though in the trade you're kind of slipping back effortlessly into it. I just I just want to draw attention to the fact that Morrison has, you know, disbanded the League and now the League is rebooting. So if you hadn't read any of the other associated stuff, if you'd never come across Prometheus before... This is the new era. It's meant to begin here, basically, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, and it's it's weird because this first page of the issue was straight back into Howard Porter art, and I didn't realise how much I'd missed him. He's Yeah, it's like an old friend just kind of taking you by the hand. Although what I find really interesting um, is that 
I think we've mentioned it briefly before, but Howard Porks' art seems to undergo an evolution over the series. Yeah. And I feel we're almost as of this issue, we're entering a new phase in, in Porks' artwork where I'm not saying it's better or worse. I'm just saying like, it's, I don't know what changed, but it's subtly different. I know what you mean, and there are a couple of moments in this issue that we're going to get to that I just think are ab- some of the best work he's done. Absolutely stunning images of some of our favourite characters. Mm. But yeah, I d- yeah, it's weird. Like, I, I, if it, hard to describe, but it's almost like a lot of the characters became chunkier is the wrong word, but kind of like like their limbs and fingers and features became a bit kind of thicker. And I'd often wondered, like, if that was, like, a change in inking or a change, like, you know, was was Howard still the same, but the creative team around him had... They've moved on to hammering. Oh, God, this is, this is eventful. <laughs> Foley, PJ, we'll say that's, that's steel in the background. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, but no, um, as far as I'm aware, it's the same inker on the series that it's always been. Um I do apologise. Yeah, John Dell. I was going to say, John yeah, Dell. Well, let's skip ahead to the credits. So, yeah, Grant Morrison, writer, Howard Water, penciler, John Dell, inker, Ken Lopez, letterer, Pat Garrahy, colorist, heroic age separations, L.A. Williams, assistant editor, and Dan Raspler is the editor. So the art team is exactly the same. It's the same colorist and letterer and inker that's that's been on the book for a while now. Yeah, but again, I feel, I feel something changed. And I don't know if it's just because Porter had had you know, a good many issues of drawing these characters and was becoming more... (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. I keep telling myself that, like, this is staying in because there's no way I can isolate all all the drilling, but... uh, Yeah, that was... (laughs) Maybe we should just press ahead and... (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. Oh, God. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Let's let's just go. Let's okay. Just do what we can. Okay. PJ, where are we? What's happening? So we open apparently three months later, and I'm guessing that's three months after the end of Rock of Ages, not three months after the. Okay. Now even even I may have hit my limit there. Hey everyone, uh, whoa, PJ, the time travel was complete. I, Even though we just <laughs> talked about what we were about to do before before we started recording, my brain went, why isn't he saying hello and welcome to the JLA cast? <laughs> <laughs> I know, we're, we're conditioned, we're completely conditioned. Um, yeah, so um, the in-universe explanation for what just happened is, due to Steel whacking his big old hammer... <laughs> Uh, on PJ's wall, um, we've had to employ the services of our man and jump a week into our future and, what, like two seconds into your future to pick this up again. Yeah, my next-door neighbours were drilling, basically, and, and we couldn't record, or well, couldn't finish recording. It just got too bad. So we stopped, and we're starting again. That's Yeah, we, tr- we tried to convince ourselves that we could power through, Um it was not happening. No. Like, <laughs> we were fighting a losing battle. I, I choose to believe. Have you... Now, 
for the sake of comedy, PJ, choose how you answer this, but have you ever seen your neighbour? Is it conceivably possible that John Byrne lives next door? Oh, my God. I mean, if John Byrne is some kind of parasitic creature who can take over the bodies of those <laughs> younger than him, which I would not discount completely, then, yeah, it might be. <laughs> God. Okay. Yeah, you see, I was kind of imagining that, like, yeah, you just, you'll occasionally catch, like, a bearded face from between the <laughs> curtains. Well, no. I don't know, saying something vaguely racist or no, something. No, I, I have like seen that. my neighbour, but now I'm thinking John Byrne has possessed him because John Byrne is an ageless, eternal entity of evil. We will all, we will all feel the burn in time. That's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but PJ, um, given that we've um, we've burnt a week of our, our precious uh, chrono power, um, should we should we dive into it? Let's do it. Let's do it. Awesome. Okay, so. Three months later, which we can kind of assume is from the uh, the disbanding of the JLA. Yeah, so, I think that's basically saying three months since the end of Rock of Ages. Yes. And we open on Lois Lane um, doing her makeup. And I've got to say, I like seeing Lois Lane turn up in JLA. I, I love the character. I think she's great. And it's just lovely to see her here. It's a small thing, isn't it? But like we've, as a culture, we've generally accepted that, like, uh, you know, Superman and Lois Lane are married, and well, maybe not in all continuities, but you know, they're married. She's well aware of his of his secret identity and his second career as Superman. What we so rarely talk about is um, that Superman is in the JLA, and ergo, they're kind of like, kind of. Who the kind of people they'd invite to their New Year's Eve party is probably quite eclectic. So surely she's like on first name terms with most of the league. Yeah, it's like Clark has two jobs. He has the day job that he works with Lois as a reporter, but then he has his night shift job as well, which is the Justice League. And so the JLA are his work friends that he will sometimes bring home. (laughs) (laughs) And that weird guy who scans in the corner at parties, you know, Batman. (laughs) But again, um, Lois Lane is here and Morrison finds a completely unnecessary but great way of making this scene interesting because mm. Lois is talking about she found the, a letter which like her teenage self wrote to her grown-up self, which is something that teenagers occasionally do. That's kind of fun. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it, it, and it's just, this is so perfectly Lois as well. Just the, um, I think Morrison absolutely captures her character brilliantly here because she says, so the letter said, Dear Lois, by now you're probably married with two kids to some stupid guy and you've probably forgotten that you ever wanted to write and have an exciting life like Colette or Dorothy Parker. Uh, two, two references I assume will mean more to an American reader than they do to two bumpkins I, from the UK. I don't know who Colette is, but I have heard of Dorothy Parker. Well, you are just more culturally, you know, well-read and versed than I. So I like to think so. I mean, we all know so. <laughs> People have listened to a lot of episodes of his show now. Um, but yeah, so I mean, Lois, uh, adult Lois, can smugly say to her teenage self, "Well, you know, screw you. Like, I'm, I'm, I've won a, P- a Pulitzer. I'm married to Clark Kent, who is also Superman, and all three of us have been invited to the moon for dinner. So <laughs> there you go." And then we cut to Cat Grant, who is waiting for Lois to finish her makeup so they can 
is this helicopter just landed or are they going to get on that helicopter? Either way, they're going to go to the JLA teleporters to go up to the moon, apparently. So, PJ, here's a very quick question for you. Cat Grant. Yes. The character. Yes. Um, obviously, a few things to learn down the road in the next couple of issues, but was she a staple of the Daily Planet crew? At that point? Or? I don't think she was at this point. I want to say, and I might be wrong here, but I want to say she is a John Byrne creation because John Byrne wanted to insert some friction into the Lois and Clark dynamic in the comics when he rebooted after Crisis on Infinite Earths. And so he had Lois be the one chasing after Superman and Cat was actually interested in Clark, so it gave Clark that dilemma. Uh, but I th- right. think eventually they softened Cat a bit and just had her. I think she left and started becoming a, a newsreader on on a Metropolis TV station. So her appearances became less frequent, but she was sort of still vaguely around. And I suddenly, I'm suddenly drawing a blank. But in All Star Superman, there's a blonde woman who also who's also on the Daily Planet staff. Is that meant to be Cat? I can't remember. Probably. I honestly can't. I honestly can't remember. No. Um, but yeah, but then we see that um, Lois is not alone. And she is joined by Jean, a.k.a. the Martian Manhunter, which is a very small but great detail. Because again, it you it's just such an obvious answer. You know, you'd go like, how the hell does Clark Kent maintain his secret identity? Like in all these impossible situations. Oh, hang on a minute. He has like a shapeshifter on speed dial. He has several. He's this is <laughs> this is another reason the Clark Kent secret identity works. Clark Kent and Superman have been seen in the same place multiple times. There's um a couple of issues of Action Comics or Superman where in the nineties, uh, Supergirl, who was the Matrix character at the time, who was also a shapeshifter, impersonated either Superman or Clark so they could be together at the same time. There you go. You see, you see, kids. If you're thinking about becoming a superhero, choose choose your friends strategically. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> but yeah, the world's media are going up to the Watchtower, and it makes sense. The Daily Planet would send their two best reporters, Lois Lane and Clark Kent, but that means that they they will also be expecting Superman to be there. And poor Jean just doesn't have the same name recognition. It's okay if he's not really around, I guess. So maybe people would start suspecting Clark Kent is the Martian Manhunter. I mean... That would be fun, actually. Possible. Or, um... Go on, John. Think of an obscure leaguer who isn't there. Um, Triumph. Ambu- Triumph. Oh, yes. Whatever happened to Triumph? <laughs> who knows? Uh, but a nice little touch is that uh, uh, Lois goes, is it okay if I don't watch? Seeing people change shape always makes me feel weird. And John, morphing into Clark, goes, you can turn around, Miss Lane. To which Lois says, call me Lois. People are going to think our marriage is in ruins. <laughs> which is, again, a lovely little Morrison joke that I, I really enjoy. <laughs> again, an entire page, which it could be argued, is irrelevant to the story... And yet is wonderful scene setting. Yeah, and you get Lois being Lois, which Morrison just writes superbly. You get a lovely little character detail for Jean where he, he's like, I, I'm polite, I'm going to call her Miss Lane, without quite realising that that would be weird for humans in a married couple. 
Here's a daft question for you. Is Howard Porter channeling a tiny bit of, oh God, what's her name? Terry Hatcher in this, uh, the, the actress who played yeah. Lois on Lois and Clark? I think the hairstyle certainly may well be. She looks a, it's a very 90s look, hairstyle and, and kind of suit jacket. Yeah, because I know that the show was running around the same time as Death of Superman and, and Lois didn't look a lot like Terry Hatcher in that. Her hair was a lot longer. But I think at some point before the show ended and after Superman came back in the comics, they did slightly alter, alter Lois's look so she did look a little bit more like she did on the show. Well, there we go. I'm sorry, just a weird thought that jumped into my head. But we cut to a news report where Amanda Trellis is saying that after the Justice League was disbanded, a press conference was called. And we see Superman, John and Aquaman basically announcing we need to restructure the League so it's more able to deal with bigger threats. It's got to be more efficient. So we are working on an intense recruitment program. And then there's the usual thing. It's that it's that thing when like a a boy band announces a new lineup these days, isn't it? Where everyone's kind of <laughs> speculating, oh, who's going to be, who's going to, or a new superhero film announces, oh, who's going to play that character? So everyone's going, who's going to be on the league? And 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 again, it's the slightly weird uh, trinity of Superman, John, and Aquaman, which we, well, no, it was uh, Superman, Batman, and Aquaman. In it was, wasn't it? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe I'm just. I just find it weird that Aquaman is so involved in this process. I suppose. I, I think it sort of just comes naturally to Aquaman to be a leader because he's he's a king. He does rule. He knows how to lead an entire country. So, I think. I don't. I, I think there's an interview with Morrison where they say it wasn't intentional, but Aquaman just sort of started moving up towards this leadership role in the book, and it just felt natural. So they kept going with it. Well, I guess it could maybe it does kind of make sense for the character because like Aquaman has also been uh, a little bit of a prick on occasion. You know, he's been a bit like stubbornly, childishly refusing to join. You know, he's an individual. And then the moment he commits, he almost like can't help himself. Yeah. But he, as you say, like rise into a leadership position. He commits fully. But also don't forget, of course, Aquaman is the only other original Justice League member alongside Jean to still be on the team so it makes sense he'd have oh. that seniority which again you know to casual readers like myself um, I do kind of forget that Superman isn't technically a founding member mm. which is such a weird little detail yeah because of course Barry Allen Hal Jordan dead and Black Canary's with the Justice Society at this point I think yeah, it's such a weird detail. I can kind of understand why they've retconned that in recent years, focusing, you know, more well kind of well, kind of on the Magnificent Seven, I suppose, with a few changes. Well, but I know that yeah, just even back in the sixties when they first the Justice League first appeared, their first appearance wasn't their origin, it was the Starro fight. And mm. even though Superman and Batman were on the team by then, they only have cameos in the issues because I think the idea was DC wanted to say they were on the team because they were the big names, so they would sell the book, yeah. but they didn't want them to take over the book. So quite often Superman and Batman would have other things going on that meant they couldn't help out with the mission. Right. That's such a... Yeah, no, I get it. I mean, it's such a, a kind of bureaucratic answer. You know, it's like, um, for legal reasons, Superman can't 
you know, come along on this mission, but he definitely cares and would have if he'd been available. Yes. Also, quick side note, now I've mentioned Starro. John, have you seen the trailer for the new Suicide Squad film? I have not, but... There's I a giant Starro in it at the end, and I'm very excited. I, I was... Yeah, no, I haven't seen it, but I know I have to watch it because of that very moment. I heard that news, and I was like... PJ's going to be the happiest boy. I really in was. The world. I re- the glee on my face. Anyway, I s- I so hope they do full on clamping to the face. <laughs> you know, Morrison Starro. They've they've got to surely. Oh, that would be amazing if they did. I hope so. Um, but yes, yeah, sorry. Back 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 uh, back down on planet Earth. Um, we meet Retro, but it's not the Retro that we know. Uh, it's Prometheus wearing Retro's clothes. But still with his own nightstick. But still with his nightstick and the cosmic key kind of hanging around his neck. Um, And I would say the only only thing I find weird about this, and I think Batman picks up on a couple of things, is for a guy who is essentially cosplaying as a hero for a day, um, I would maybe be wondering, why is that thing around his neck literally bubbling with an ethereal white energy, which would be a hell of a prop if it isn't an actual superhero artifact. I mean, I've seen some impressive cosplay. <laughs> some people can do some really cool stuff with LED lights and, and things. So He's got some LEDs and like a little smoke machine. Yeah. 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 So I think if I saw Retro, I'd just go, oh, that's cool. I don't know how he's done that, but that's cool. Um... But yeah, so the media is is spinning the same story, which we knew that uh, you know Retro is a civilian who's won the join the JLA for a day contest. So he's got no superpowers, but he just gets to hang out. And you know, again, they're um, repeating uh, the kind of pitch which Retro come up for himself that he was today's hero, yesterday's attitude. And, you know, just a decent guy, you know, not like those other kids, you know, just a nice old fashioned guy. But then there's, a, there's this last panel on the page is brilliant. And it's a combination of Morrison and Porter because Porter draws this close up of Retro's face where he looks a bit smug. Yeah. And you just can't help but think that mm, that looks a little bit off. And what he says is, I guess I just want people to know that my generation aren't all, like, taking drugs and killing one another in drive-bys, which does sound like someone trying too hard. I know, and also and also could be taken as, like, even though Prometheus has this amazing plan and knows the importance of pretending to be retro and doing, like, a flawless impersonation, I get the impression he can't help himself but take the piss yeah. a little bit. Yeah, he, he is like having fun. And and ultimately, it's hard not to respect someone who takes such joy in their work. You know? <laughs> Even if they're a bad guy, PJ. Oh, yeah. Well, exactly. This is why we love Prometheus. <laughs> um, but as we turn the page, uh, we get more of the TV footage and Prometheus literally just preaching to the, to, to, to the choir. Everybody loves him. He's just spouting ongoing like corny lines about what an honour this is and everything. And we immediately cut to Batman in the uh, in the monitor womb, watching this, just looking distrustful, shall we say? Yeah, and he actually 
goes on the telepathic link to Jean and says, look, there's something about this contest winner. I don't know. So Batman's already suspicious. But I think there's something else to take away from this page as well, which is Batman is pulling monitor duty for the JLA. Batman, who at the beginning was like, I'm only doing this part time when you absolutely need me, is now so in it that he has shifts on monitor duty in the JLA watchtower. And interestingly, I had wondered about this. Um, Yeah, as you say, like it's interesting because he's becoming a bit more committed and as much as we didn't massively care for secret files and origins too we saw batman taking a role in it but also i've got to ask you pj we touched on this in a previous issue what is the current status uh, status honestly it's not even a word what is the current status of batman as the so-called urban legend? he is still an urban legend it's not until i think it's the war games crossover in the batman books in must that must have been the early to mid 2000s somewhere where batman is revealed to be real because he has no choice to save a life but to appear on in a big old news story just to come at basically he walks out of a burning building holding someone and there are news cameras there and he doesn't have anywhere else to go so he has to reveal that he's real but at this point in the dcu Batman is an urban myth. Again, it is absolutely wild to me to think that in this year, like what, 1997 or very early 98, uh, 11, 12 years post-crisis, that the, the, the official canon of Batman is that the world doesn't really think he exists, which is just mad to me. Like, just it's so counter to what we we think of the character now. Yeah, but I really like that aspect of it because it makes him more effective as a crime fighter. Mm. Uh, although, in a couple of pages' time, Superman almost gives the game away. But we'll get to that. Oh, interesting. Um, well, and then PJ, maybe it makes sense then that if a bunch of film crews are coming onto the Watchtower, that Batman would be doing monitor duty. Well, yeah, because he's the one who's got to hide from the cameras. Uh, but, that you know, they could have put Huntress in there or Zauriel, one of the new guys, I guess. That's true. That's true. Um, but, yeah, and um, so, but interestingly, we, we see that um, the, uh, uh, the members of the press are getting to the Watchtower via teleport pogs at Star Labs, kind of like we saw uh, a young Green Arrow do mm-hmm. several bo- uh, a couple of books ago. Uh, Jeff Goldblum's not there uh, this time, though. No, no Jeff Goldblum, <laughs> sadly. Um, and yeah, and again, we just get some nice kind of background telepathic communications going on, uh, where I, I, I think it's Batman saying this. I'm not sure, but he's saying that all of um, Retro's muscular movements and characteristic mannerisms are as before and suggest a fairly stable personality type. I've assumed that was Jean responding to Batman because you yeah. can see Clark and Lois, and Clark is Jean at the moment, in the teleport tube next to Retro. Yeah, that would be my thought at one point as well. No, I, I think, yeah, I think you're right, PJ. I, I, I agree with you. I was maybe a little uncertain, but yeah, I think it's Jean just going, oh, Batman, don't worry, he's fine. <laughs> oh, jeez, everyone should learn, listen to Batman. Always listen to Batman. He's paranoid and right yeah. all the time. <laughs> but smash cut, PJ, to the Watchtower. Yeah, and this is a great panel. So you get everyone arriving on the Watchtower greeted by Superman, the the best Superman, Electric Blue Superman, stood before, I guess, the head of a giant robot. Oh, PJ, 
I'm shocked. I'm gonna give you I'm gonna give you a moment to roll back on that. Oh. Who is this robot? Wait, it's not the um Oh, what was it called? In at the beginning of the Angels arc, the one Wonder Woman and Aquaman beat up. Yep. The anime thing. Yep. Yep. I can't remember what it's called. The the Mangatron? Mangatron. There you go. I thought that might be Mangatron's head, but I wasn't 100% sure and didn't want to, you know, say it in case I was wrong. <laughs> no, you you were right not to embarrass yourself, PJ. <laughs> um, and again, a small detail, but I think there's a massive cosmic treadmill in the background. Yes, yes there and is. And a rock. And a big rock and a globe. And a globe. Um, which I think is above... No, no, I was going to say it was the globe above the meeting table, but... No, I think it's just a, a floating globe of the Earth. Yeah. So Superman just welcomes everyone to the Watchtower and then shakes Retro by the hand and says, I hope we live up to your expectations. And uh, Retro seems a bit surprised. Oh, that's it. We're here. He's got a big backpack on as well as Retro. That's nice. Yeah, nightstick, big backpack, and a cosmic key around around his neck. Um, but yeah, uh, so, you know, Superman just, you know, smiles and greets everyone with his big blue, beautiful face. And gestures, you know, ladies and gentlemen, dot, 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 turn the page and we get a massive double page spread of Superman going, I'd like to introduce you to the new JLA. And it's one of those lovely pages where you just get all the characters there and then a little caption with who they are. So it's Wonder Woman, Flash, Plastic Man, Aquaman, Green Lantern, Zauriel, Huntress, Superman, Steel. But PJ, um, in case it's not immediately apparent, I don't think it was immediately apparent to me. No, at the me time, neither. That's not the Wonder Woman we know. No, that is Queen Hippolyta, Diana's mother, who is the queen of the Amazons and has taken up the mantle of Wonder Woman since the death and ascension to godhood of her daughter. And I believe at this point she has also travelled back in time and joined the Justice Society of America for several years, then travelled back to the present and, and joined the JLA. Comics, everybody. Job burn, Comics. everybody. Um, uh, and yes, of course, uh, we, we've, uh, we have Huntress. Um, I guess my question, PJ, did, did, does the world know that Huntress exists? I mean, they certainly do now. Yeah, but... I, I don't think Huntress was... Because was, Batman intentionally spreads that he's an urban myth he makes he, that's his choice to show to say that because it makes him more effective huntress just goes out and beats people up There's, she doesn't think that much into her persona so i think the the idea that there are other vigilantes in gotham who have sort of been inspired by the batman myth is is one that certainly gotham is aware of and other people would be aware of so yeah i think huntress is just one of those and uh, she's been elevated to league status Daft question, PJ. Um, what what was to your mind? What was like the status or popularity of Huntress at this point? Because I love what Morrison does with the character in the pages of JLA. But was it a weird pull, even at the time, for Morrison to put Huntress on the team? Now, I th you'd you'd almost think it would be, but I'm pretty sure she was part of. Or appeared, it certainly as a member of the team in an issue I saw, of Justice League Europe in the late 80s or early 90s. Now, I don't know the canonicity of that, if she actually was part of the Justice League at that point. Uh, it, oh, wild. Uh, it may even have actually been an issue that was very just pre-crisis. But So having Huntress on the League isn't an original 
Morrison idea to a degree. Having her be on the main JLA, I think that was new. She was a fairly regular supporting character in the Batman books at this point. Uh, every year the Batman books would do their big crossover. So you started with Nightfall and then after that they went to Contagion and Legacy and onwards and Huntress would always have fairly pivotal roles in those. I don't think she'd really had her own book up until Birds of Prey. She, But that I don't know when she started appearing in Birds of Prey because originally that was just Black Canary and Oracle. Uh, mm. So yeah, it, it all sort of blurs together for me as to where she is continuity-wise at this point. But um, she was making fairly regular appearances, and certainly with the way Morrison handles it, that that Batman is the one that brings her into the league, and it's sort of an effort to help him improve her effectiveness, makes perfect sense. Oh, I know, and I I think um, the journey that character goes on, uh, she becomes one of the pivotal members of the league you know in my opinion like uh kind of like kyle mm. in a way she becomes like a very human anchor point to, to the team um but i've got to say pj i mean like this page and the very concept of it scratches another one of my favorite superhero tropes which is the shuffling roster mm. and I, I oh god it's like it's like a mixtape i love it when you take a little bit of the old, add a little bit of the new, because we got it's not a completely new team. We've got you know some of the oldies, some and you know throwing a few newbies, maybe a few B listers. Oh, and then a complete wild card. Who the hell's that? I love it. Yeah, I think because I read a lot of Avengers when I was young. <laughs> yeah, this this lineup feels very, in a weird way, very similar to what Busick was doing with the Avengers at this time. Mm. It's um. Because, yeah, God, what did I... I've said it before. I'll say it again. And someone smarter than me said it, but I'll rip it off. Um, the Fantastic Four are a family. The X-Men are outcasts. The JLA are gogs. And the Avengers is a baseball team. Yeah. <laughs> Where you... It can constantly change and shuffle. And that was one of the joys of Busick's Avengers run, was, you know, you could always just mix up the team, like, every few issues, and it wouldn't feel out of place. Yeah, completely. I think uh, this iteration of the JLA then is the baseball team of the gods. The ba- oh my god, <laughs> that would be like that's like an autobiography title or something. <laughs> It'd be like the the PJ Montgomery story, the baseball team of the gods. I mean, it would make absolutely no sense with with my life, but yeah, I'll use it. <laughs> but again, um, a big change for the league. But this is it's going to be pretty fixed now really for the rest of the run well we've we've got by the end of this story we'll have us completely set the lineup really but there are still a few reveals to happen unless you mm. listen to our secret files and origins 2 episode and then they've already been revealed <laughs> again not our fault dc chose to release it <laughs> and uh <laughs> but no um yeah issue Although, title sorry, we'll count- say actually the cover to this oh. issue does kind of spoil it too Ooh, that's an interesting point, because I've got the collected edition here, and I'm not sure if mine includes the cover. So in my collected edition, it's on the same page as the cover for the Prometheus one-shot, just below it. It's just a side-profile headshot of the entire league, but it includes three characters we don't see in this issue. Come on, John, you can do it, literally. Ah, there we go. There we go. Yes. Oh, it's a fun cover, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Cool, cool. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, I guess we could turn that page and uh, continue. So here's what I was talking about earlier. 
Superman says, in addition to our permanent charter group of seven, so he reveals that the League was a big seven and that they're still the big seven, and everyone will be going, but wait, I've only seen six. Who's the seventh? It's Batman. Mm-hmm. That's a very good Superman point, should say permanent charter of six and an urban myth who you might or might not know exists. Um, <laughs> And again, that just went completely over my head because, again, I wasn't aware of the whole urban legend i got to be honest, it's something I only picked up on on this read-through. <laughs> it's a fun point. It's a fun point. Um, But again, like, um, Superman kind of outlines uh, a model for the League. The idea of having, like, uh, you know, we're adding four new members. Uh, we're having a floating chair, which is a great idea. You know, we can bring in a specialist superhero for particular missions. Um, aside from maybe like maybe one example of that, that sadly that doesn't really come to pass much in in the series. No, no. As you say, I can I can only think of one example as well. Uh, there will be some guest stars here and there, but none of them sort of come in as this floating chair member. They're just sort of naturally introduced as part of the story uh yeah and but we get we do get this nice shot of the the uh, the, the meeting room which gives a sense of scale because um you've got quite a few reporters like it really does give some sense of how big this media scrum is mm. well you've got to assume it's media from all over the world so representatives mm. so different channels and papers multiple from each country it's it's a lot of reporters and, um, yeah, Superman is basically just being tour guide. You know, this is like a very slick, organised event. But it's something Superman's basically... good at. He's a people person. <laughs> he knows exactly how to handle a crowd. It's, 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 it's really cool. He's just very good at the cameras. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, and we get a nice interaction where Superman's like, uh, okay, so, you know, if you follow me, we'll give you a tour, a tour through the Hall of Justice and then onto the trophy room. And Lois Lane is like, hey, cut the crap, Superman. You know, stop lowballing us. I've got some difficult questions for I you. I love the look <laughs> that Clark or Jean is giving her here as if to say, whoa, that's your husband. What are you doing? <laughs> and, uh, and Superman's like, yes, yes, of course. There'll be, there'll be time for questions. You know, this is the sick game that Clark <laughs> and Lois play with the world. You know? I bet they love it as well. They, I bet like, they love it. <laughs> later on tonight, they'll be having a real laugh about this. <laughs> um and and then uh you know retro aka prometheus goes i have a question does the moon have a bathroom and you know it's a, everybody bursts out laughing it's a real kind of oh you know, retro yuck. you can oh ret <laughs> classic um and yeah and and steel bless him <laughs> it takes it gets the duty of leading him to the bathroom. <laughs> and meanwhile, the rest of the league are getting asked some questions. There's a, a microphone shoved at Superman that says it's for Wiz, which I think is the news station Billy Batson works for. Oh, yeah. Good shout, PJ. Good shout. That's all I have to say about that. Billy Batson's that's not all in this I, issue. You don't, you, there's no Captain Marvel here. but That's all I have to say as well, basically. Just a nice Just little Easter egg. Work. Yeah, deep cut. Deep cut. Um... And, uh, yeah, and then we get, like, a, a nice little flurry, another trope in comics, of reporter questions being flung at the League. And they are wonderfully um, op- 
uh, off kilter, shall we say, but bordering on irrelevant. Yeah, well, two of them are for Wonder Woman and two of them are for Zauriel and Aquaman's just there looking angry. But I, I do love the, Zauriel, you're an angel, right? Does that mean there really is a god? In the DC universe, come on, like if you've grown to the age where you can be a working reporter, come on, <laughs> like why? Come on, you see weird shit every day. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we cut to you know away from the party where Steel is um, leading Retro to where the toilets are on the moon, which is nice of him. Yeah, and uh, he asks, "Wait, this is amazing. Are those trees down there?" And Steel explains, yeah, those are the hydroponic forests. They process oxygen for us. Uh, but you want this direction unless you're going to use a tree trunk. And then he takes an interest in the nightstick. So Retro hands it over. Indicating immediately that Steel, like many of his fellow JLA-ers, leaguers, has senses and, you know, abilities beyond that of no- normal man. And Steel instantly goes, hmm, that's a really weird item you're you're holding there. It's giving off some weird energy. So my point, PJ, remains: why did no, why did nobody put more scrutiny on the <laughs> crap that Retro was bringing? It's a massive red flag. I yeah, maybe again they've seen impressive cosplayers before, and they just went, "This guy knows his stuff." They're just being nice. <laughs> They're just being nice. But Steel says retro, right? And then Retro says, well, no, the honest truth is I'm not really retro. I killed Retro and took his place to get on board your watchtower. I'm Prometheus, and I'm here to destroy the Justice League. And I love that so much. There's no more pretense. Just straight into, here's who I really am. And, oh, by the way, my nightstick is electronically overriding your armor's computer systems. And you get an amazing, amazing Frank Whiteley... Not Frank Whiteley, sorry. Uh, Howard Porter. Sorry, Howard. A Howard Porter panel doing some of that killer Howard Porter lightning we've come to know and love as energy crackles all over steel from the nightstick and he loses control of his armour, basically. Yeah, uh, Prometheus basically forces him to walk and keep walking as far as he can and then when he gets to the end, turn around and throw his hammer because then he will cause some incredibly serious damage to the Watchtower. And there's this lovely panel then as as Prometheus basically throws off the retro cape and starts getting his gear out of his rucksack. And in the background, Steel is just sort of being led by his hammer as he walks off down <coughs> a corridor. It's, it's what would be a very comedic panel if it weren't such a serious moment for the League. But again, I'm happy for Prometheus because he's got the biggest devilish grin you could imagine. Like, he's having a great time. Yeah. He says, I've thought all so, this out. You're in trouble. So, PJ, I've, I've got gotta, to gotta ask, and we, I think we touched upon it a little bit in New Year's Evil, mm. but this is the big reveal. Yeah. And as amazing as New Year's Evil is, does, it, does this reveal work better if you haven't read it? I don't think so, to be honest. I think it, I think it works just as well either way. Because what you're only uh, eight pages into the issue, and he just comes out and says it. And I think you already know something's up because Batman's suspicious of him, and when Batman's suspicious of something, we should all be suspicious of something. <laughs> so yeah, I don't think having read New Year's Evil, it does spoil this. I think it just adds more flavour to it. Yeah, I'm not complaining because this is all great. I, it, it, it is just, yeah, it's just, I've just always found it odd. I'm like, 
Were we meant to be surprised at that point? Or is it dramatic irony? I don't know. Either way, Prometheus, again, having a great time. It's hard not to enjoy <laughs> that he's being such a shit. But straight away, Batman knows something's up. He just immediately, in the monitor womb, says something's wrong. And Yeah, his bat sense is clearly. Exactly. And John and Superman can hear him. And Superman's like, okay, need more information because I've got a lot of people in here and I don't want to panic. As he says out loud, we're going to get you some refreshments. Uh, yeah, and um, a wonderful, you know, because again, they've all been superheroes a long time. You know, they're all good at, you know, faking, having to nip to the bathroom or, you know, um, I don't know, take a phone call so you can go get changed in a phone booth. Uh, Jean, a.k.a. Clark, is like, oh, I feel a little sick. Which way did Steel go? He also made his skin tone slightly greener, which is something <laughs> only a shapeshifter could do and I love. But again, it sells my theory that maybe Clark Kent is actually the Martian Manhunter. Yeah, you know, it's maybe all this time. I want to know, if, has that been done as a story where someone thinks they've figured out the secret identity of a hero, but they get it slightly wrong? So, like, for example, Clark Kent is the Martian Manhunter. Because I think that could be a really interesting story to do. That's an interesting... The, uh, the only thing I can think of... It's not a great example, but in 52 when Superman has lost his powers and he's spending a year just living as Clark, Lex Luthor kidnaps Clark, ties him to a chair, pumps him full of truth serum and says, okay, Mr. Kent, you know, now you'll tell me anything I want to know. I only have one question. And he goes, is Superman secretly the hero known as Supernova <laughs> or something like that? And, and Clark just bursts out laughing. He's like, no, I can honestly say he isn't. <laughs> and it's like, so close, Lex. Yeah. So <laughs> um, but yeah, but uh, we cut to Prometheus wearing his uh, rocking armor, uh, but not his helmet, tapping away at a computer. Yeah, and he puts uh, one of his discs into what just looks like a normal PC at this point <laughs> to download. Hey, hey, P PJ, PJ, this computer in 97 had nearly 500 megabytes of RAM. You know, think about what you're saying. But he's downloading the secrets of the Watchtower, which is basically then an excuse for Howard Porter to draw a lovely full-page cutaway section of the Watchtower so that we all know the exact layout. It's, it's utterly pointless, and I love yeah, it. Yeah, it's just one of those beautiful comics things that sometimes happens. Um, is there, I'm trying to think, is there anything interesting on the map to kind of bring well, up? Well, I, I uh, like that the uh, they have a, a swimming pool in in there. They have got a whole, a whole gym with a swimming pool. The swimming pool is also connected to Aquaman's deep water tanks, which are way down at the bottom, and it's like a big lake that they've made underneath the watchtower. Mm. And I like that the monitor womb is directly below the Hall of Justice. Yes, that's a nice little touch. Which I believe the Hall of Justice is technically their meeting yeah. room. It's where their big it? table um, is. Yeah, it's just a nice touch. It's like uh, the yeah. If you if you look at it, it's like it's all organised on a central spindle or something. It's just yeah, it's just nicely done. It's nice that they've also got uh, a park. They've got a shuttle bay, a gymnasium and sauna, plus a games and recreation room and a villain gallery. <laughs> a whole room just dedicated to paintings of villains. I assume that the league have done themselves. 
it's yeah i don't know i it's, it's what it what yeah, I can't imagine any of the villains have like a hall of a hall of heroes, basically. Oh, to, uh, no, Lex Luthor has a whole Superman shrine. I hate him so much. I dedicated a room in my house just so I can go stare <laughs> at it and seethe. Um, yeah, um, but yeah. So from that wonderful, pointless, glorious splash page, uh, we cut to Prometheus putting his helmet on and sticking a mini disc into his brain. Yep, just so that he's got the layout of the Watchtower in his head. But as he does, Jean turns up and asks who he is and what he's doing, and Prometheus just tells him, well, I've copied the blueprints of the station onto disc, and now I'm putting them in my brain, so I have it all memorised. I just wanted to talk about um, uh, a a weirdly inconsistent colouring note, PJ, which is where sometimes Prometheus's skin on his face through his helmet is 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 kind of green yeah uh, which i took took to be like there were meant to be like lights inside his helmet which were giving it that glow and i know later he deploys like a like a a mask like a kind of breathing apparatus which gives it like a blue sheen um yeah i just want to say it's something i've never been 100% certain on yeah, whether it's meant this, to be I think that it's either that mask or I think we have seen in previous issues a color where a printing or coloring error has made uh, people's skin tone appear this sort of weird shade of green. Hmm. Maybe it's like that thing with the original Hulk, where it was like grey or one particular color was incredibly hard to print. It was, so yeah, it was grey because he was grey in issue one, and then they said, "Look, we can't keep doing this." And Stanley went, "Okay, we'll make him green." <laughs> We can't keep doing this. It's been one issue. <laughs> um, and I've got to say, Jean here, to his own detriment, giving Prometheus, like, really the benefit of the doubt. Well, that's it. They have like, no idea who this guy is. And, you know, Jean's one of the good guys. And also, I mean, could Jean have scanned his brain? You've Who knows? got to assume that Prometheus has planned for that and there's something in his helmet, some technological wizardry that, that means Jean can't fully get in there. I have to and choose to believe the same as well, PJ. Like, yeah, that's... And again, you know, we've recently seen that, you know, new gods apparently just turn up in the Watchtower all the time, like unannounced. <laughs> so, you know, sometimes you've got to be, you've got to be polite about it. So... Jean says, stop what you're doing, come with me, adds a please, because he's polite. And Prometheus just says, you may also notice that I've increased the oxygen content of the air. Oxygen is highly combustible, you're vulnerable to flame, and this is a phosphorus dart. As he just turns round and shoots Jean in the chest, and Jean bursts into flames. It's it's little things where, and again, I, I, I'm trying, I'm not being that guy, PJ, I'm not being that guy. But on the one hand, I like that Jean is not immediately threatened because Jean is, you know, as we've seen in previous issues, can pick up a asteroid the size of a small, you know, building and chuck it at people. Um, on the other hand, Jean technically can move at super speed, but maybe he wasn't feeling threatened, so Prometheus caught him unaware. I think that's exactly it. There are, If you're fast enough and you can hide your body language enough... Like I feel like Batman would be able to do the same in a similar situation, and we know that Prometheus has trained himself to that sort of level. So I mm. think it is just that he catches John completely off guard. Yeah, 
No, it's a fair point. Again, I'm I'm really I'm really not nitpicking. I just you know Prometheus is that twisted, and he's thought that far ahead. Mm. But yeah, Jean just bless him, just erupts into flames. At which point Prometheus shoots him with another dart while Jean's vulnerable, and this one contains a molecular toxin that attacks Jean's morphoplastic nervous system. So called he calls it complete spastic paralysis. Jean is no longer in control of his physical structure, and Jean just melts into a puddle of goo. <laughs> and again, this is the the crooked little vein in Prometheus's head where he's like despite the fact he didn't doesn't need to he's still cracking weird little jokes to himself but he goes as Jean turns into a puddle he goes it should last about an hour much longer than I'm going to need until then you're the most powerful puddle of goo alive <laughs> scourge of the underworld ha <laughs> and in this last panel as Prometheus leaves just saying two down the green goo that was Jean lies on the floor behind him. It almost looks like he's got a little skip in his step. <laughs> but he's enjoying I, himself, and I love it. Ah, oh, PJ, if I haven't said it before, I'm going to say it again. I love Prometheus. He's, he's brilliant. He might be my favourite villain of the entire Morrison run. I Yeah, agreed. I mean, like, you know, special special place for Starro, of course. Oh yeah, sorry, but, second favourite. But yeah, he might be my favourite. I love him. Starro's my favourite, Prometheus is second. But in terms of villains that you can properly communicate with and who have... Because Starro is just a big monster. There's no real talking. Yes. There's no real personality there. It's just a big, scary monster. So in terms of actual villains who who you can get behind the eyes of, where you can sort of... They tell you what they're thinking. You can communicate with them. Prometheus is my favourite. Um, they're scratching different itches. Yes. They're, they're, they're bringing different things to the table. And... Uh, yeah, and um, we get a nice little touch where we get like a, almost like a computer readout explaining how the JLA's hydroponic forest works, which we assume is maybe like data being projected right into Prometheus's yeah, brain. Yeah. As as he looks down over this beautiful kind of verdant forest, which is growing in the watchtower. Which has a moat surrounding it and water gathering and collecting there to water the plants as well. It's it's a beautiful image actually of just of a forest from Howard Porter in a forest in a space station. I love. <laughs> and looking down on it, Prometheus goes, "It's like the Garden of Eden," but I guess that was flammable too. And he shoots a uh, a phosphorus dart down, and the entire forest erupts into flames. And then we cut to the the room where the reporters are gathered with the rest of the league and one of them is running towards Superman with his arm raised saying, Superman, what was that? But still with his microphone to his uh, to his mouth because, you know, he's a professional. Can I just say, can I just say, like, one of my biggest pet peeves is when people are writing superhero comics and a villain or something turns up and the only thing they can think for them to do is to just start hitting each other. Yeah. I'm not saying you can't have fun fights. I just mean it shouldn't be the outcome of a battle shouldn't be dictated by the stats on your Pokemon card. <laughs> I I love that Prometheus is thinking about this smartly and using the environment to his advantage. Like he it's just so much cleverer than it needed to he be. He has planned this out to the last detail. And yeah, it's a really unique story among 
superhero comics i think this sort of thing is it's it's so well done and it's it's morrison and in this issue porter firing on all cylinders they've just done it so so well and again just a slightly different way of telling a telling this kind of story i'd i'd, I'd love it to bits um but yeah superman tells everyone to stay calm as plastic man uh, and Zoriel kind of look at some screens. And Plastic Man says and... that's easy for Mr. Invulnerable to say because <laughs> he doesn't understand Superman's new powers. And Zoriel, bless him, um, I mean, read the room, uh, just kind of says out loud that, you know, I hate to be the one to bring it up, but something's happened to the hydroponic generators. Oxygen production is at 47% and falling rapidly. And the solar tower's venting flame... I mean, talk about a public relations nightmare. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Superman just calmly says, I see it. And then Lois says, what's happening, Superman? And then one of the cameramen just goes, didn't you hear the Hawk guy? That's our oxygen supply disappearing into space. Yeah. And we get like, you know, papers being thrown into the air and stuff. And yeah, it's like you get the sense that panic has begun. Yes. And so Superman takes alarms charge. are going off. Tells Zoriel and Huntress to secure the area. I, if, PJ, if someone's shouting at you to secure the area in a in a crisis, would you know what to do? I'd go. Do you mean like close that door, or what am I doing? What? Well, yeah, I, I'd be like, sh- sh- sure. But I assume I assume the league have like discussed <laughs> this sort of thing in advance. Like they they've got procedures in place. So when Superman says secure the area, Zariel and Huntress know what they're supposed to be doing. It's not like he's turning to someone. You secure the area, and that person goes, "What? Me? How? What? Why? No." <laughs> Could you be more specific? <laughs> Maybe. Um, but yeah, Huntress, uh, cynical as ever, is like, uh, "Is this some kind of like Universal Studios thing?" And nobody remembered to tell me. This is for the cameras, right? To which Zoriel goes, "Sure, just like the Gulf War." Wow. Wow. Which which at the time, PJ, it wasn't the first Gulf War. It was the Gulf the War. Gulf War. Yeah. That's grim, isn't it? Yeah. Um Let's just gloss over that. But again, it kind of shows that Huntress is kind of kind of not used to this. Like her world is muggers and the occasional supervillain, not like, oh god, the moon is exploding or I don't know, whatever it is the JLA deal with on a regular basis. Yep. And then we get Lois saying, uh, Superman, how serious is this? And Superman says, look, we don't know what's happening yet, but you're under the protection of some of the world's most powerful superhumans. And Cat Grant goes, hey, where did Clark go? Clark Kent is the Martian Manhunter. Um, we cut to Prometheus, again, smiling. Um, and he has a, uh, like a, uh, what do you even call it, PJ? Like a, a perspex... Yeah, shield like a, across a, a his mouth visor. Mouth. Yeah, and yeah, and again, it's, it's it's a weird thing in the artwork which um, doesn't instantly come across, but there are like weird, like flashy. Porter j- draws them almost like explosions, mm. like coming out of Prometheus's head, but they're explained as being like strobe lighting, which is meant to disorientate people. Yeah. Yeah, and he, I think he explains it in a couple of pages' time, doesn't he? But for the moment, 
Huntress has found him, and she's pointing her wrist crossbow at him. He's holding the cosmic key, and she says, look, I'm going to put it down or I'll nail you to the wall. What did you do to Zauriel? So something's happened to Zauriel in between, but Prometheus says, look, I've opened a doorway into the ghost zone, and I've sent him there. And we can assume that it happened pretty quickly uh, at that. Now, again, I, I again, I don't want to be that guy who's just always going like, what is up with that bit of perspex across his mouth? Because I don't think it was there before. And it is now. Yeah. Is it to do with all the oxygen in the air? Like, is he, or lack of it? Is it, is it breathing? I, I, think? I assume it's something along those lines. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that'd always be my take. Um, but yeah, but Prometheus uh, does not seem concerned at having a crossbow pointed at him and goes, well, it's a long story. The key opens a doorway into a quiet little infinity of nothing, the ghost zone. I discovered it, so I get to call it any stupid thing I want. <laughs> <laughs> he says, I have a little place there. I sent the angel to do some feather dusting. And then we have a beautiful Howard Porter rendition of the Crooked House from the previous issue. And I'm really wondering who drew it first, if it was Porter or Arnie uh, Jorgensen, because they both draw it so well that it's clearly exactly uh, the same place. As we said, like there's a lot of weird things in Prometheus's kind of general vibe and i love the crooked house yeah me too it's so weird and pointless but <laughs> um but yeah we see um zoriel in the crooked house face pressed up against a window freaking the hell out <laughs> because from his perspective he's in limbo and he has no idea how he in fact he literally says how did that happen <laughs> uh and again just a nice and subtle bit of world building that you know we saw that you know, a couple of independent people have ended up in this white, endless basement area of the universe. But Zoriel knows it under a completely different name, which is kind of, yeah, just a fun little touch. We cut back to the watchtower where Flash is confirming that the teleporter's offline and they've lost their telepathic link, which means something's happened to Jean. And Kyle says, well, let's check it out. It's you and me, Flash. We can take out the bad guys. And again, uh, a very subtle but meaningful evolution of their friendship or relationship, I guess. Yeah, I love it. At this point, they're they're a team. It's the Flash and Green Lantern team, and it's just now fully formed, and they can work together quite happily and get along very well. And I love it. If you go back to how they were in issue one and then compare it to now, it's just a lovely development. You have to assume that the events of Rock of Ages, which were pretty significant for flash um kyle and, and aquaman i mean if you go through something like that you probably gain a bit of respect for each other yeah yeah exactly exactly it's lovely but we cut away from that to prometheus confronting huntress and he says haven't you been wondering why i've been using such a low flat tone of voice why my helmet lights have been flickering at a rate of 10 cycles per second hypnosis you can't move until i say so which is confirmed by Huntress making like a little mm, noise, which we assume is that she's uh, paralysed. Yeah. He, he then whacks her wrist crossbow with his nightstick as he tells her to sleep, and she just goes down. Uh, and you see the arrow just kind of shoot off panel. And a familiar shadow falls across Prometheus's back as a voice goes, another coward with a grudge, turn around. And Prometheus 
not phased at all, goes, well, I've been waiting for you. And let's be and honest, turns. we've all been waiting for this. We've all been waiting for it. But we turn and we see Batman holding a crossbow bolt. I don't care what you've been doing. It's over. Ah, uh, it's just one of those I'm moments where trying you think, to do the Batman Prometheus voice. is in trouble now. <laughs> As well we should. And again, it's a small detail. I like how Batman looks at the moment yep. with the big yellow, <laughs> the big yellow bat on his chest. It's, you know, I miss the fun. yellow disc. I really do. Yeah, me too. Yeah, it's weird. Well, you know, changing, changing tastes and all that. <laughs> but again, Batman giving Prometheus more, more space than I perhaps would have <laughs> would have given him, given the situation. Well, he's he's sizing him up, isn't he? So Prometheus pulls a disc out and says, uh, the information on this disc can be downloaded directly into my nervous system. I have 30 of the world's greatest martial arts masters right here. And in just a few seconds, all their skills, all their physical prowess will be mine. And then he talks about resetting the lights for a strobe effect to disorient Batman and just says, the odds don't look good. And Batman, again, Batman goes... For you, for, uh, maybe I'll try and do the voice for you. <laughs> oh, that was that was good, John. I enjoyed that. I'm bad. I'm bad, man. Oh no, you've lost it now, right, Rachel? <laughs> Rachel. <laughs> um, and again, maybe Batman is suffering from a, a small amount of overconfidence here. But if a dude was like, "Hey, I'm holding um a disc, which if I stick it into my brain, give me just a few seconds, I will have all the skills of the world's." 30 greatest martial artists. Well, I Batman, I'd be like, bloody hell, Batarang, quick, Batarang to the wrist. I mean, Batman you know, thinks because... he's the greatest martial artist and can take anyone in a fight. So then Prometheus does drop the revelation that, uh, oh, one of those 30 on my disc, Batman, it's you. So it's like Batman fighting himself and 29 others. And Prometheus leaps into action... Uh, and just goes, don't patronise me. And it's a lovely and... panel of Prometheus leaping at Batman. It's oh, yeah. it's brilliant. It, uh, you're going to get a um, confrontation here. But, uh, you know, combat is joined. Um, and we turn the page. And uh, we're back with the reporters. And they're asking, you know, pesky questions of Superman. Like, so there's no air, right? And we're going to die, Right? (laughs) Like like reporters do. It's just annoying. And Superman says nobody's going to... But before he can finish the sentence, Prometheus starts talking into the room. He says, this is Prometheus speaking. Today's attitude, tomorrow's headlines. (laughs) And then just lays it out. He says he's here to destroy the Justice League and he's doing pretty well so far. We'll be meeting shortly. Keep the cameras rolling. And Superman realises it's a recording. So he orders Wonder Woman to get the reporters to the jump ship bay and says he'll tackle Prometheus as energy crackles from his eyes. And this is where you think, right, even if Prometheus does take down Batman... Superman's on it now. Prometheus is in trouble. Surely Prometheus is in trouble. And, yeah, again, Superman, even with all these civilians, is confident enough that... Well, he's Superman. He's like, yeah, yeah, I can, you know, get people to safety. I, this is well within my ability to handle. But we get this weird little panel of Cat kind of, like, thinking to herself and goes, Prometheus? Who's Prometheus? I thought I knew everyone. 
But Lois just says mm. to her, looks like somebody desperately wants to be on TV. Yeah, and um, Aquaman strikes off looking meaningful. And a reporter goes, um, Aquaman, can we have your comments? It'll be like, a, Aqu- Aquaman, uh, can we have your comments? Uh, 32 skidoo. <laughs> yeah, just like <laughs> Dateline. that. <laughs> Dateline, Los Angeles. And Aquaman just um, says, our oxygen is being consumed by fire. I think I can manually divert the contents of my deep water tanks into the sprinkler network. We don't have time for comments. And just strides off. Uh, yeah, so, uh, you know, uh, Hippolyta, Wonder Woman, starts kind of um, saying, everyone, please follow me, we'll get you to the shuttles, you know, all's well and good. And then we cut to Wally and Kyle kind of going through a darkened corridor. So we can assume that Prometheus has maybe killed some of the power as well. Yeah. Yeah, Kyle's created a, a fun sci-fi torch to light their way with, with green light and Flash gets a little dig in. He says, so who's Prometheus? Is he one of those dumb guys you always fight? <laughs> and and interestingly, Kyle's like, will you shut up? I'm trying to concentrate. And Wally's like, what, what do you mean concentrate? Like literally, that is your entire shtick. Yeah. Is, why are you finding it hard? Willpower is your thing, Kyle. Yeah, and and Kyle, his his kind of funky sci-fi green energy torch just kind of falls apart, and he's like, "I can't make my ring work." And we hear a voice, and it goes, "That's because your thought processes are being disorganized by something I call neural chaff." As for you, Flash, any attempt to use your super speed will be detected, causing motion-sensitive detonators to trigger the bombs I've been planting. And a foot comes into view. A foot that seems to be vaguely on fire. (laughs) Only moderately on fire. Uh, And Kyle and Wally both look on at something we, the reader, can't see in absolute horror. Um, As Kyle goes, no way. And Wally goes, oh my God. And we turn the page... And this is just a splash page now. Prometheus strides out of a a room that is blazing, fire everywhere, throwing the beaten and battered body of Batman at his feet and just says, five down. Who wants to be number six? To be continued. That's it. That is it. And the thing is, PJ, the thing is, it's... Probably, it's easy to underestimate the impact this final panel might have had. Yeah. Because we've gotten so used, used, used to Batman being basically Bat God, (laughs) being indefeatable, perfect, car, you know, thinks of everything and can only be beaten by somebody who's so ridiculously out of his league, like a, a big cosmic space god. It is so rare to have Batman fight someone on their own terms and lose. Like, what a way to make Prometheus scary. It's great. Yeah, this I remember when I first this is one of the things I remember the most, in fact, from when I first read this storyline. Just this last page of the issue. Obviously, when I first read it, it was in this trade, so I just went straight on to the next page. But the impact of seeing Batman just defeated like this. And this it's it's very different to well, if you, when you read Nightfall for the first time and Bane defeats him at the end of that, because through that you've had this huge build-up of all of, of Batman having to fight 
everyone who's escaped from Arkham Asylum that Bane has basically set against him in order to weaken Batman for their inevitable confrontation. So when Bane fights him, it's not Batman at his peak. It, he's already broken mentally and physically. It's just Bane finishes the job. This is Batman in his prime. This is Batman probably in better shape than he has ever been. And he loses. And it's a shock. And it's a reminder that Batman's just a man. And it's kind of great that, again, as we talked about it, like the infectious joy that Prometheus has in what he does, because he's smiling. He just has like, the biggest like shit-eating grin on his face. Like, he is so confident. And he's having fun. Like, it's it's great. <laughs> like, I really love it. It's amazing. It really is amazing. And, yeah, I Morrison knows what they're doing you know it's it's if you have someone like prometheus able to take down batman in a straight fight like that you know that's a big deal and that is a really good place to end the issue that's a huge cliffhanger this guy can oh, take yeah. down batman oh my god maybe the league is in huge trouble here and again you know emphasizing that prometheus is just a man as well you know the idea that aside from his you know kind of um technology that interfaces with his brain he's only a human and it it's amazing that like he's winning but it's all through like dirty tricks and everything but you almost want to commend him for being smart enough to think of all like these cheap tricks yeah. that's what makes him such an interesting villain rather than just again striding in and punching people yeah he's he knows he has to separate the league because he can't overpower them. He has to take them down one at a time. He has to be smart about it. He's got a plan for each and every one of them. And because he's planned it so carefully, he's you know, we know he's been planning this since basically the New World Order time. So it's been several months in, in the JLA's sort of time span. So he's had all this time and it's all coming together just perfectly. Yeah, Um yeah, and again, I've said it before, but like when Morrison's firing on all cylinders, like they're really good at villains. Yeah. Like r really good at finding different ways to write a quote unquote evil person. Like Morrison's, sorry, not Morrison, Prometheus's brand of evil is very, very different to, say, Luther. You know, they Morrison's clearly having fun writing both of them, but in very different ways. Yeah, and you get to compare and contrast that later on. Like Prometheus and Luthor do have a meeting, which is fun. But it is it is very this this feels so different. Like if you read this back to back with Rock of Ages, it feels so different. Mm. It's it in in tone as well as and everything. Uh, it's remarkable, really, that that this is two consecutive issues of the same comic by the same writer. It's yeah. And that's a really good point, PJ, because we've talked about the different eras of Morrison's JLA, you know, and we're entering a phase now, which is kind of, we're going to, you know, get used to it because we're going to, we're going to, this is going to be the status quo for a, for a while now. But again, like Morrison's style of writing these characters has changed so much. And this is a very, this is a turning point issue. And I would say also um, matched by... The artwork, because again, like how Howard Porter's artwork has gone through a very 
subtle change that I, I can't quite put my finger on. But still, clearly the same artist, and it's still great, but it's quite different. Yeah, but this is a period where we get quite a few fill-in issues, so you have to assume that that larger issue of Rock of Ages that Porter needed help with as well anyway, and, and then everything else that was coming sort of was going to interfere with this. The very next issue, in fact, Arnie Jorgensen, who drew the New Year's Evil Prometheus one-shot, is actually back to finish the Prometheus mm. story. So... There's, we don't see as much of Porter in this particular trade as in some others, but the evolution of his art is, you can feel it, and, and it's its lovely. It's, it's, it's very strange, and again, not a criticism, because I love old Porter, I love new mm. Porter, but if you go back to that double-page spread introducing, um, you know, the new League, um, and I'd often wondered if the change was partly Porter's pencils and maybe also the inking because it's still john dell yeah but i wonder also if john dell changed his inking style because if you look at that double page spread some of the characters have like the thickest key lines i've ever seen in a comic like um like superman in the foreground that's like like a three millimeter thick <laughs> black line like going around him it's it's a really interesting choice yeah, actually, now I flip back, you can... Flash has quite a thick line around him, as does Steel. And then Huntress and Aquaman, I'd say, are probably the thinnest of the lines as well. So it's... I guess it's obviously like a perspective yeah. thing, like a foreground. But it's just interesting. Like, I often thought that, like, Porter's characters started to become a little chunkier, for lack of a better word. Because um, back in New World Order... Wait, that was the first book, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, um, we mentioned that there's times where, like, um, you know, Batman and Flash seem like a little, like, janky, like a little, you know, they're, they're, there's a there's a kind of like angularness to them, and those edges get rounded off so much as the series progresses. Yeah, but I, I would also say though that his his Flash, certainly on that double page spread and throughout the rest of the issue, is very lithe. He's mm. he's not a because we, we we were talking about this actually before we started recording this second part of the podcast today, that mm -hmm. we don't particularly enjoy when people draw Flash as a big muscular character because it makes no sense. And mm, Porter absolutely. gets that. He draws Flash thinner as as an with an athletic build, someone who runs. And again, call me call me old fashioned PJ, but I've never really felt that Flash should be wearing armor, given that he is a runner. Yes, well, that's that's a conversation for another day, isn't it? I mean, the chafing alone, God. Um, interesting, yeah. And again, if if you want, if you're reading along at home and you want to, you know, uh, compare some of the artwork, I I would draw your attention to the uh, the panel, uh, the page rather, where um, Steel gets uh, electrified or you know taken over by the Nightstick, because there's such a contrast here, which I think is just really interesting. Like that one panel of steel screaming feels very much like early porter like it, it, there's something about it it's got a very mm. very thin line art and and then maybe if you look across the page and you've got a close up of prometheus pretending to be retro that seems like very much new porter with like that slightly kind of um rounder features and stuff i feel like that might be intentional with steel sort of to show he's an armored character it's a man in armor so showing it mm -hmm. as more jagged and and with these 
straighter lines would make sense. Although I do love that Steel's got one of those things you only ever get in comics where his armour is also his face and his mouth and eyes move with the armour and, and I know. It's amazing. I have to assume and I've always wondered about that sort of thing, like it, it's some kind of ooh, what should we say, like nanoplastic yeah. carapace which moulds to his features. Yeah. But like with uh, with Batman Beyond, that was another one where Terry McGuinness's Batman has that with his costume. Even just too. Ca- even just Kang the Conqueror, I've often wondered how yeah. how his mask is supposed to work. Yeah, to the point I think where I for a while I thought Kang just had a blue face and was wearing a purple hood, but no, it's a mask. I mean, like what? He's from like the eighty eighth century or whatever, so I assume fabric is you know <laughs> magic by moved then. on a bit. Yeah, but I often wondered like because I've got a big thing for Kang, <laughs> and I often wondered like in in, in the idle hours I thought to myself. So if I was ever to make a cosplay Kang the Conqueror costume, how on earth would I do the mask so it kind of didn't look like a mask was kind of part of the face? I think this is your new project, John. You've got to do a really good Kang the Conqueror cosplay, thigh-high purple boots and everything. I would settle, PJ, for a killer Prometheus costume. That I mean, wouldn't that be great? That would be awesome, but somehow I feel less of a challenge as well. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I just want something easy. <laughs> I mean, you can just buy a knight's helmet, stick some plastic tubes on the side and get a white cape, and there you are, Prometheus. I do like a character with a nice kind of visor. Yeah. Um, uh, I would draw attention to um, the knight, a.k.a. Britain's Batman. Oh, yeah, uh, knight features... and squire, isn't it? Brit- Britain's mm. Batman and Robin. I, I never knew how I felt about that, about... Because obviously in the 50s and 60s, Jack Kirby brought in things like that as well. Like he did the green arrows of every country too. I've got a collection of Kirby's green arrow (laughs) stories. Yeah, I think they might be even earlier actually from the 40s. But then when when Morrison tries to bring it back in more recent years, it just doesn't work for me that every country would have their own Batman. And it's it's just stupid. (laughs) Not, Not all of them, PJ. Sweden doesn't get a look in. Oh, well, that's fine then. It's not stupid anymore. I think Morrison has has said Morrison's got a bit of a thing for doing um like phonetic regional British accents. Yeah. Uh, like um Squire is very cockney. Yeah. And um you know there's I think I've said before but there's I remember uh when Morrison was writing a Glaswegian whale in the pages of New X-Men. Yep. And there's someone wrote in saying, like, I hate it when American writers try to try to do British accents. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think um I think in some of the uh director's notes on Morrison's Batman run, they said that if they had been offered it, they would have written a squire a Knight and Squire series with them just dealing with like weird British shit <laughs> like forever. Uh yeah, I mean I think if you separate it from Batman a bit more and just have Knight and Squire be their own thing, I'd be up for that. But it's the trying to make them the Batman and Robin of of Britain. I'm like, no, let's not. Well, can can we agree, PJ, that Prometheus and Knight both shop from the same helmet supplier? Yes. And that it's a good look. Yes, we can. I love a Knight visor. 
And um, extra shout out to the weird dimples on Prometheus's armor, <laughs> which I kind of love. They look very tactile. Yeah, I can kind of picture what the action figure would feel like if I was holding it. I wonder if they ever did a Prometheus action figure. They must have done. Surely, because Marvel had like those Marvel Legends action figures, didn't they? Which were quite high detail. Yeah, and came with a, a part of a bigger figure, so you'd get a Galactus or yeah. a Sentinel if you got all the characters from that from that run. Or a, gi- or a giant man. Or a giant man. Kind of thing, I, I, I always look at them and go, God, I'd like those, but I don't think I can justify it. Oh, they're really expensive. <laughs> yeah, they... they <laughs> yeah, it's when you just... You think, like... I mean, there was a time in my life when I, I thought, like, you know, having a, a semi-decent Ant-Man action figure, I was like, well, it's never going to get better than that. <laughs> and now he's, in, now he's in movies, so, you know, what do I know? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I find the proper action figures really expensive these days. Like, I wanted an action figure of Captain America wielding Mjolnir, and it was either spend £120 to get a decent one, or just buy the £10 Funko Pop. Guess what I did? Or, PJ, buy, like, uh, an off-brand Captain America the First Avenger uh, action figure, which must be in a dumpster somewhere, (laughs) and buy, like, a Thor 2 The Dark World action figure. Right, you see where I'm going. I see where you're going. And yeah, you cut Thor's hand off because it's all just one piece of plastic, and you kind of like glue it to Captain America. I mean, I feel like the Funko Pop was cheaper and required less effort on my part. PJ, in the spirit of requiring less effort, <laughs> um, is there anything left to say on this issue? Uh, no, I don't think so. Other than. I am so excited to do the next issue because I love it so much. I know. This is like I'm I'm enjoying it. You know, I'm having the time of my life here. This is this is great fun. It's yeah, this is this is one of my favourite three part, two part, depends how you look at it. Stories uh, that Morrison did in yeah. their run on JLA. Absolutely. And it's so much fun to be revisiting it at the moment. It's it's an utter joy. And it's and it's weird that as much as I enjoy this appearance, uh, I can't speak, PJ. What's happening to me? As much as I enjoy this appearance of Prometheus, I have there is such a special place in my heart for his second appearance later in this series that seeing him here now and enjoying it is great because it also means it's bringing us closer to those moments, which are some of my favourite bits in the entire series. Mm. It's so, it's, oh, so good. Morrison's having fun. I'm having fun. We hope you're having fun as well. <laughs> yes, we really do. Because if you're not, then we're doing our jobs wrong. Because if you're not, what's even wrong with you? You know, It's like you don't like fun. Just, it's like you don't like fun. Why you, why you got to hate? That's why I don't understand. <laughs> just, just be nice. Just enjoy content. It's easy. Um... <laughs> But with that in mind, uh, I guess, uh, and with nothing left to say, uh, I guess it falls on me to thank Gav Mitchell for our incredible cover artwork. And to thank Elliot Red for composing and performing our wonderful theme tune, Justice. And uh, if you enjoy hearing PJ and I talk, uh, you can find us on social media and our uh, details are in the episode description. We'd love to see you. We're also both Um, on other podcasts, which you can enjoy elsewhere. And we talk about those on social media too. So do check those out. Oh, no, 
no, PJ, good point. Give give us a plug for for your other show. Uh, oh, my other show is The Measure of a Fan, in which myself, the aforementioned Elliot Red, and our friend comedian Matt Troy go through every episode of Star Trek chronologically, one at a time, and talk about them afterwards. Elliot has never watched Star Trek. Matt and I are big fans. Huh. I didn't realise you had an actual comedian on the show, PJ. Yes, I do. So I imagine the, the the general kind of laugh per minute ratio is a, is a little higher thing than than when we have these very somber discussions. Oh yeah, no, this is this is positively funeral esque. <laughs> um, now plug your podcast. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah, no, in the interest of blatant uh, self promotion. Uh, I have another podcast called A Show Called Hate, uh, which is where myself, uh, Nick Angel, fellow comic creator, and our weird mate, uh, Chris Ray. Oh, weird mate. Uh, Poor Chris. Oh, weird mate. <laughs> well, Pete, that's the thing, PJ. It's like, this is very inside baseball. Like, everyone listening to this is, I would imagine, a comic fan or a comic creator. So we move in those circles, and then I've just got, like, the token normal person <laughs> who tags along, who likes football. <laughs> and... Um, we we can't relate um but yeah every week we get together and uh we each bring a topic of love and a topic of hate to the table and we just have an increasingly middle-aged kind of grumble and discussion about it and it's a bit of fun and we have we have a great time doing it and i think people i think some people enjoy it as well but yeah that's uh that's a show called hey um wherever you enjoy podcasts there we go there's some plugs pj PJ, plugs, plugs, plugs. Um, so PJ, I guess uh, you know. Uh, thank you for persevering as we got past the, that building work. And uh, do you want to do, do us the honors and, and kind of sign us off? How, what's it going to be this time? Well, for this week, I I took a CD where I, I downloaded all the uh, podcast endings from some of the thirty greatest podcast hosts in the world. One of them on my disc, John, was you, and I stuck it in my and- ear and in my brain. I'm now you. <laughs> <laughs> and you swall- and you swallowed that mini disc like you made it work. Hello and welcome to the JLA. Damn it, it was corrupt. That's a greeting. <laughs> 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 <laughs>